Welcome to the Insurance Brokers Podcast with your host, Sarah Myerskoff. This business podcast is for ambitious brokers determined to grow their business. Our guests are highly experienced industry experts and innovators. This is the place to leverage their success, learn how to break through barriers to growth, and discover a community of support and ideas whilst growing your business. We're really pleased to be speaking to Clive Nathan on this episode of the Insurance Brokers Podcast. Clive will be known to most of you throughout the industry as he's had a very distinguished career starting in 1987. Clive currently has responsibility for GRP's underwriting division and in this episode we are talking about COVID-19, its effects on the MGA market and Clive's positivity for the future of the industry and the economy. Morning, Clive. Thank you very much for coming on the Insurance Brokers Podcast. Morning, Sarah. How are you? uh, I'm good, thanks. I'm really good. It's um, crazy times and new technology skills being learnt all the time. I've never done virtual podcasts before now. Well, yeah, I'm I'm becoming an expert in Zoom and uh, house party as well. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, we're using all the means at our disposal, definitely. House party is something that we've <laughs> I've been trained in this week as well. It's fabulous. <laughs> um, so today I thought it would be really interesting to talk through the effects of COVID-19, particularly on the underwriting market. So I did um, a podcast earlier with uh, Alan Chandler on the effects of COVID-19 on brokers. Broadly, I imagine the same issues are, are coming through MGAs and I wonder if we can have a chat about it. Of course, of course, so, yeah, absolutely. How is it affecting you personally? How are you managing in these crazy times? Actually, I think my my working day has become, if anything, more more intense. Sarah, I start pretty early, which works pretty well for me, and then I go through the day with with various calls and uh, Zoom and email and telephone conferences, etc. I try to finish uh, reasonably about five usually about five, go for a walk and then try and do some exercise and then try not to do too much in the evening either because otherwise I think it feels like work just becomes your whole your whole day really. So that's keeping me sane. I think the walk and the and the exercise I think is is critical. I, I hope that I hope that most people are doing that and taking advantage of their uh, their one exercise a day. How do you think it differs between pre-COVID-19 from a working perspective? Because for me, I'm significantly more efficient now because I'm not traveling to and from places, but that social contact is is odd not having it other than through screens. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I think it's also important to remember that that work isn't a clear inbox. And I have to keep reminding myself of that, that my day isn't dictated to by the the email that comes in, that I actually still have uh, some goals that I want to achieve at the end of each day, at the end of each week and things that are, are still important strategically so that you're not just sucked into the to the sort of the here and now. So making sure that I'm speaking to all of my team, speaking to brokers, speaking to insurers, and trying to maintain that contact when it's not forced upon you by a regular series of meetings or bumping into somebody in the street. You don't bump into somebody in the street in your own office, whereas your sort of virtual bump into somebody in the street could just be an email to say, how are you doing? Or, or um, you know, hope things are okay, which I've, I've started doing a bit of as well. So 
it is definitely different. But like I say, I think the main thing is not to be dictated to by by the inbox, really. Mm. It's a bit of a tricky question because we don't know how long this is going to last or the way it will phase out, whether there'll be a second bounce, etc. But do you think we will go back to as many face-to-face travelling meetings as we did before? Or do you think this uh, Zoom boom <laughs> will uh, take off? It's a good question. Uh, we were. I was only talking to a colleague of mine just before this, before I spoke to you about this. Uh, uh, you know, we've been quite traditional in that we tend to be in the office quite a lot, or in in in, in our places of work, travelling quite a lot, suits and ties. And now we're beginning to see people in, you know, hoodies and leisure wear, etc. You know what, Sarah? My general feel is yes, it would be nice if we did. But I think human nature is will probably this will become a memory and we'll revert back to what we did before, probably quite quickly. So I think it could and it will for some people. But I think the majority of people will probably revert to, to what they did before. Mm, yeah, I can see both ways. And I think some of it will depend on the industry you're in. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, my brother is runs an exhibition company. Well, at the moment, that's an industry that is not doing anything whereas in insurance I think we're really lucky in the fact that we're still providing that service we're still busy we're still renewing lots of clients and the main thing is you know I'm clearly you know our main focus is on supporting those clients through through this difficult time because if they're not there then then uh, you know that affects us all so helping them through that I think is, is absolutely critical. So what steps have GRP taken? What sort of things are you doing to help your client base? We started quite early on on this, the sort of things that we were doing. We set up a, a working, a technical working party, which I chair, that meets every couple of days, every well, two or three times a week now, to go through any issues that have been raised by our brokers on behalf of their clients, whether that's technical wording issues whether that's cover issues, whether that's getting interim payments from insurers, whether that's we're looking at whether we can do auto renewal with insurers, what sort of rate increases are may well be justified, but is now the time to be pushing through standard rate increases? So we're talking to insurers about that on behalf of our clients. I'm dealing with the ombudsman. We've taken QC advice on on wordings from insurers to make sure that that where there's any ambiguity in insurer wordings, and unfortunately there is ambiguity, we, we know that because nobody expected this, that we're doing everything we can to protect our, our clients and our brokers' interests and, and those people that, that are working on behalf of, of clients. It doesn't mean that we're working against insurers, and in many cases we are the insurer as an MGA, but I think it's all about, at the moment, it all feels about how can we help people through what is, a, as we keep hearing from the government, an unprecedented situation. So all of those things, Sarah, and, and anything else that occurs to us as, as this happens, because we, we don't know. We don't know what tomorrow's issue is going to be, really, do we? Yeah. How are GRP's MGAs doing? The reason I ask the question is um, just talking about supporting insurers the effect this has on our economy will be dictated largely by what happens, I think, with insurers. And if if these payouts enter the billions and capacity hardens to unprecedented levels, it affects everybody. So there is, there is a balance here, which I don't think a lot of 
outside of the insurance industry understands. So how are GRP's MGAs doing and, and what do you think about that? Yeah, our MGAs, as you know, and, and as we, we talk about that, you know, we don't put a GRP label across them. So whether it's Camberford, whether it's Plum, Usure, Lexicon, Oasis, any of our MGAs, they are niche. So the niche and specialist nature of those MGAs means that it's very, very different for each of them. If I take uh, European Property Underwriting Limited, which is insuring some of the biggest property investors in the world, they have actually not had a huge impact. Whereas Camberford, who do schemes for the leisure industry or tour operators, have seen quite an impact on those particular schemes. Conversely, tree surgeons, uh, recruitment schemes for drivers are going are in huge demand, as you could imagine. So we've got a we've got a very uh, a very good uh, split. Some of which are affected negatively, a majority of which, thankfully, are affected positively or are are working hard to make sure that their clients aren't too affected. So we're keeping a watching brief on it. Clearly, things like new business is going to slow down, and I think that's been true for probably all brokers at the moment. In uh, but on the converse side again, retention has been better because I think people are concentrating on running their businesses, not on necessarily looking to get new quotes on their on their insurance. So so our MGAs are in are in pretty good shape. But again, I, I speak to all of the guys every day. We're always looking for trends, which might be a level of submission or or um, or renewal retention. The interesting thing is that claims definitely do seem to have gone down. As you know, we've we have Plum, we have Cherish on the on the household side. We have three XD, and we're seeing a much reduced number of claims. Obviously, on things like escape of water and theft, we have seen a, one or two spurious DIY accidents, though that. Uh, <laughs> But uh, I think as far as the insurance industry is concerned, yeah, I agree with you. I think, you know, we have a massive part to play in keeping the economy in keeping the economy going. One of the things that we're doing is uh, on our retail side, and which I'm working closely with them on, is things like interim payments. So we know that most policies don't provide cover, but there are some that do. And on those, we're looking for interim payments. And in particular, Sarah, I think it's, where a claim is non-COVID related that might have been going on for a little while, talking to the insurers about getting a, a payment out for what might have been a, a loss that happened two or three months ago where a surveyor was due to come out. Can we get some money into the hands of our clients to ease their cash flow? We think is a, a really important thing. Can we find a way to do a video um, assessment of damage by the client literally using an iPad or a, or a phone. Those sort of things are are definitely happening. We're doing that within Plum or with our own claims, but also encouraging insurers to do that rather than waiting to make a payment. Make a payment quickly because at the moment, uh, you know, we know that running a business, cash flow is, is everything. And if people are struggling for cash flow, a claim payment that might have taken two or three weeks because of bureaucracy or because of just the time it takes to do it getting it done quickly could create almost hero status for an insurance broker that's something that client wasn't expecting oh it's happened quicker than I thought so so I think I think that's a sorry a slightly long answer to your question but but yeah that's how I feel about it no I think that's fabulous what are you seeing in terms of uh, 
the renewal increases as, as a general rule? Are, are insurers forcing through standard increases? Are they taking uh, what you're saying and just what are you seeing? Yeah, I think, it, like I say, I, I, I wear two hats here. One is sort of looking at our insurer uh, relationships and underwriting SGRP across the piece, but also recognising that as MGAs, we're running eight virtual insurance companies as well. So yes, we're pushing some degree of rate through, but we're also being quite mindful of the fact that now's not a time to be driving too much rate in it through where on those products where we can see that it's going to have a, a major impact on a, uh, on a on an insured. So we're trying to be circumspect on that, but recognising that not all claims are going to be COVID-related. We know that as, a, as an MGA, the key thing is to make money for our insurers, uh, that we have to have good underwriting results. And, so, and some of that is related to rate. But we're also doing some other things, Sarah. So uh, one of our businesses producing, uh, both on our broking side and on our MGA side, is trying to produce cost-effective products, so an essentials product bit stripped down so that people can not have to make the choice do I get insurance or not but could I take out a product that just gives me the the basic covers that I need so I'm protected against against catastrophes maybe with a higher excess maybe with some of the ancillary covers stripped out and we're doing that both on the home side through Cherish and also on our retail broking side with an essentials product so rates I know we get quite obsessed with rates within the insurance industry, but I think at the moment it's just being mindful of what our clients can afford whilst still wanting to make money for insurers. And how are you managing with things like, there'll be quite a lot of of gaps in cover that are brought about because of COVID-19. So empty commercial property, you know, all the, the normal staff. How are you providing for that in terms of stripping cost out rather than going and saying, you need to also now ensure this. How are you managing that in a client-centric way? I think as far as, as things like uh, unoccupancy are concerned, uh, we're trying to be take a, a really pragmatic view on that. So, yes, where there's very short unoccupancy clauses in, we're looking at those. I know that within uh, – you, you, we actually, we specialise in, in unoccupancy in, one, in several of our businesses, you sure – Plum have unoccupied products, and they've worked with their insurer partners to uh, to ease the restrictions on whether that be thirty days unoccupancy, extending that to sixty days. So, so trying to do things that 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 help our uh, our insureds. But I think what we're seeing from clients is, even though their premises may be unoccupied, people are still want to go there just to check. It, it may not be every day, it may not be every other day, but maybe once a week going Pick to check the on their property. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. it's you know, in our caravan business, it's a population that likes to pay by check. And so somebody goes in once a day to pick up those checks and make sure they're banked to ensure that we're, you know, we're, we're trying to give service to our customers. They're there alone. We make sure, you know, we've made sure that, uh, that they're not, they're still self-isolating and, and all of that sort of thing. So, yeah, it's um, it's it's a challenge. It's a challenge for everybody. What do you think about additional cyber risks as a result of people working from home, and separate but related GDPR problems? 
Yeah, I hadn't really thought about uh, the cyber. Well, I hadn't thought about it. Uh, interestingly, we we suggested a Zoom call to one of our insurers yesterday, and they said they won't do Zoom calls because of they've got fears of security and uh, and being hacked into. I hadn't hadn't heard that so much till yesterday. So, yeah, I mean, I think it definitely heightened that risk. But again, I think I think the people are worried about that, but I think people are just more concerned about back to Cash you know. Flow. Cash flow. I think we can. Uh, it's something that we will want to talk to clients about, and we do. But like I say, I think I think predominantly people are, are concerned about cash flow at the moment. I think as far as uh, GDPR is concerned, the challenges that were there before remain. I mean, we're we're very clear on on all of that, and and the sharing of data is is something that we take very seriously. But we're still getting. Interestingly, we're still getting from brokers, we'll get things that are not encrypted. We'll get information on clients that is not encrypted and it, it comes into us unencrypted. So you sort of think, well, that could go anywhere. And this has got this has got quite a lot of information relating to a, to an insured on it. So it's again, I think it's I think it's something to be mindful of, but probably not the um, uh, not the priority that maybe it was prior to this. I think so too. And I think the world appears to be taking a sensible um, approach. Not everybody's a technical expert, either in technology or in the the intricacies of GDPR or the intricacies of cyber and the potential risks there. And I think most people, like you say, are panicking about their own, what they do know, their business, their, their, their market. And um, there will be stuff that's missed, stuff that goes awry. But I don't think people are penalising that at the moment. I think it is just one foot, next foot, lesson learned, okay. Next foot, next foot, lesson learned, okay. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, agree. I think it's a tricky one. What are your, I'm going to say, hopes and predictions for the industry for 2020? Oh, for the industry, I, I, I thought you might ask me about about how you, whether you thought I thought uh, Spurs were going to end up in the top four or not. But uh, <laughs> if I was going to talk sport, it would be rugby, I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I think as I said at the start, I think we're getting you know, in some ways we're getting quite a bad press. The stuff that's been in the press over the weekend, Raymond Blanc, you know, on the front page, you know, in the Times and things like that. I, I think in the main. The wordings are pretty clear, and there wasn't, unfortunately, cover for for this pandemic. I think where where the challenge is is where there's ambiguity, and I'm speaking to clients, to brokers, where they're referring to me and uh, from within our broking group and saying, "Well, this looks like it's covered to me." And if it looks like it's covered to an insurance broker and to an insurance underwriter. I'm pretty sure it's going to look like it's covered to an to to the client, and they're wondering why the industry is is trying to, in theory, wriggle out of it. And that's where that ambiguity, I think, is is not serving us serving us well. So my hope is that when we come out of this, people will feel that their their insurance broker, their insurance underwriter, helped them as much as they could. And didn't try to wriggle out of cover because I don't think many people are trying to wriggle out of cover. I think it's just the way the wording has been put together with in this for this pandemic, which is unprecedented. So I hope that we come out of it with a bit of. I think there's an opportunity for, as I said, to come out of it in some cases as almost like in hero status that our insurance broker really helped me when I needed it. So that would definitely be a hope. 
maybe it's a, a long shot because I I think unfortunately we 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 often take a bad rap for a wording that might not that might not be clear and we've interpreted it a certain way and I know there's a lot of talk about that but that would be my my hope that that we can work together brokers insurers clients to to come out of this feeling like actually you know what insurance is really important and I probably should be thinking more carefully about it and not just take what the cheapest price is uh, in future because I can now see that wording I can now see that that service is really important so that sounds a little bit like a uh, a sermon but genuinely uh, being heavily involved in it it does make me feel like that. What do you think is going to happen from a, an economical point of view, because clearly there's going to be huge losses in terms of business over the next year. And I personally think it's going to take a lot longer than the, the 08 crash to recover from. What do you think is going to happen from an economical perspective for the SME markets? I'm really hopeful that that it will be that that sort of V-shaped recovery that, that's been talked about. I do think there will be pent up demand when when this is over. I think people will want to go back to what they did before. People will want to go on holiday. People will want to go to restaurants, assuming that uh, yeah, that we can still do that. Assuming that the financially people can do that. So I think that demand will be there. I think most of it's there, and I've been saying this for some time, and it's not exactly rocket sciences. It just depends how long this goes on for. Indications are that we're going to start talking about easing the lockdown in the next couple of weeks, or at least talking about it and maybe phasing that. I think if that happens, because potentially this could have gone on for months and months, I think then you would have uh, sustained damage to the economy. I think if it... If we can start to ease ease that lockdown sensibly over the next over the next couple of months, two three months, and businesses can get back up, then yes, and I think entrepreneurs will emerge as of, as always happens. You're already seeing you know delivery services being you know everybody's creating a delivery service. Lots of people are, are doing that sort of thing. So I hope that we recover quickly. I have a my my gut feel would be that we will because we're human beings are resourceful and entrepreneurial and uh, and robust and uh, and, and will recover I like that there's there's a lot of doom and gloom so I like your positivity on the positive note when do you reckon schools are going back because I know like myself <laughs> there's a lot of people hanging out for that yeah I, thankfully my uh, my children I mean we, we have a we have a fantastic household here I have a I have a, a civil servant an accountant and an insurance broker in this house it couldn't be more boring could it but so we don't we don't have schools but I do think you know that's hopefully I'd heard that it might be it will be in May sometime although somebody else said they they may not send them back until the after the summer term which I suspect for parents like you would be uh, would you know you'll be tearing your hair out it'll be interesting for sure my guess is mid to end of June I think they'll try and get them back before the summer even if just for a few weeks but that is just my guess yeah it can only ever be a guess can't it I think the sad thing is is for those kids in in sort of the last year of of their schooling either in a primary or a secondary school who who won't yeah, have my eldest is due to go to secondary school next year yeah so if she yeah. doesn't go back she's you know 
Well, it's the, the, the joys of writing on your blazer and, uh, you know, and all that, that sort of throwing eggs at each other. Is, I don't know if that still goes on, but <laughs> probably not. Well, it did when I left school. <laughs> <laughs> but again, that's a, a, a few years away, a few years ago, should I say. No, I think um, I like the positivity. I think it's um, I think it's really interesting. What do you think will happen for the consolidator market in the insurance industry? Because I've heard again lots of different thoughts about it. I'd be interested on yours. Yeah, I think uh, we see uh, again. I'm, I'm, I'm surprisingly for those who know me as a grumpy sod. I'm being quite positive here. I think it's there's opportunity. We're all, we're continuing to have a lot of dialogue. Uh, we've got a, a very robust pipeline of, of acquisitions. Um, literally every day we talk, our executive team meet daily. Every day we talk about potential acquisitions. And I think it will make some brokers reflect on what do they want to do when this is all over. So I think uh, consolidation, if that's uh, the phrase that we're going to use, will continue. Uh, I don't think the opportunities will dry up. I think the demographics, the challenges of regulation, the challenges of technology that remain with the with the broking in the broking community mean that often people are are looking for a uh, for a home where they can retain their brand and they can get some support and help. Interestingly, I've been speaking to a couple of brokers in the last week, not part of GRP, just people I know in the industry who've asked for an opinion on on something be it a wording or a or a claim situation and i wonder whether people will say look i need to be part of something slightly bigger to help me in situations like this because what we're doing as i say having a technical working party out the support mechanism that we've given to our brokers creating wordings giving them people that they can talk to creating subject matter experts it's hard to do well it's impossible to do when you're when you're on your own. So I think uh, in summary, I think consolidation will continue. So, Do you think there'll be a reset on the type of multiples we've been seeing? I think what might change is the way that people are thinking about the value of their business. And I do think that, you know, potentially payment terms might, might alter. So people will be looking at, you know, the amount that's paid up front compared to the amount that's paid in, in an earn out. I think those will happen. But you know, valuable businesses are still valuable businesses. Uh, we're certainly not thinking that that this is an opportunity to do things cheaply or or try to think the prices you know will be forced down as as a result. I think it's just being being sensible about with that whole thing about not knowing. Uh, we don't know what the we talked about. We don't know what the economic aspects are going to be, and neither do the brokers. I think that's that's an aspect you've always got to try to protect yourself against that, but. But certainly, uh, we don't see this as as changing things uh, fundamentally in terms of our desire to acquire. I had a quite an interesting conversation with Kenny McIver, mm. who is one of Boston Tullis Partners, and we were talking about what we could be doing now to help the smaller brokers, because like you said, some of the stuff that is helpful is not readily available when you're a one-man band or when you've got you know 10 staff and you've got 15 different hats to wear. And one of the things we're talking about was acquisitions. And he said he thinks the market's ripe for a reset and the 0708 crash reset and took a long time to recover the, um, the type of payouts that were happening and actually thinks that this is another reset on the industry and 
crazy prices for things. Uh, so that's why I asked the question. I just thought it was quite interesting. I think it partly depends whether you think prices are crazy or, <laughs> or, or not. I love Kenny. I'd love to get uh, Kenny in now. And, and, uh, yeah, maybe prompt me to send him a, a how you doing. <laughs> but no, I, I, I think the 08 crash was caused by much more deep-seated economic challenges. This is a, a single, if you like, a single incident that has that is impacting, but it doesn't mean that businesses are any worse than they were before. Of course, it's going to affect our SME clients, but you know, as I say, I think the key thing is helping those SME clients to, to stay in business and be robust and go forward. And if they're there, then we'll be there. So I'm not sure about that. Fabulous. One of the reasons I love these podcasts is because I'm getting so many different viewpoints from different people that really do know what they're talking about. And it's lovely to hear something like and you me. just said. <laughs> I was including you in the former group. <laughs> um, and uh, it's just interesting to hear the different dynamics, what different people are, what different businesses are doing, what strategies they're developing. It's, it's really, really interesting. One more question before you go. I know okay. you've got lots of things to do. So... This is almost a quote in my own scribbled handwriting from another podcast I did, and I'd love your thoughts on it. Okay. Capacity is draining out of the insurance market, and we're moving into a hard market where niche covers will be difficult to place. This is because solvency to the recent stock market crash, Ogden, soft rating, floods, and now COVID-19 have all combined to create the perfect storm. And actually, this is a topic which Boston Tullis, in conjunction with Alan Chandler, are running a webinar series on. So I would love your thoughts on it. It's hard to disagree with that all of those things have uh, have played a part. We're not seeing a reduction in capacity, to be fair. What we're seeing is that difficult areas remain difficult. So if you want to place, well, it's hard to place risks, will always be hard to place. Part of the reason that we specialise in niches within our MGAs is because we really understand those sectors. And in those sectors that we really understand, we get capacity support. I think if we were to try and enter into an area that we don't have any expertise in and just try to get delegated authority or try to get an insurer to support us, I would understand why they would say no. But if you look at the niches that we operate in, which is really all I can talk about, we're not struggling with capacity. I think the question, the debate we had about rates is an interesting one because I think insurers are looking to, in the main, to, to get rating, but have to take into account the fact that businesses are struggling and businesses are, are going to have a, a tough time, certainly over the, in, the, in the short term. So I don't necessarily see that. And, and we're also seeing uh, some very good underwriting results from, from some of our some of our capacity partners. We deal with almost all the major insurers and certainly in our major insurer relationships, a predominant most of those, we are making money for them and they are making money. And I think that doom of, of all the things that you talked about is not, frankly, is not my experience, Sarah. And, and you know, I think the last hard market, if you think was, you know, really hard market happened after an incident after 9-11 we're not at the moment seeing that. So 
I'm amazed at how positive I'm sounding on this, to be honest uh, with you. I'm but, loving it. I, yeah. I think <laughs> but I'm going to go I, for I, a I, walk I, and do a maybe dance. I'm, maybe, I'm, I'm being, uh, maybe I'm being naive, but I think if you know what you're doing in a sector and you know, despite all of this, despite these cha- uh, what's happened on COVID, if you understand a particular sector, you know, I often talk about the fact that we have a tree surgeon's book, only because I can hear one of them operating outside <laughs> my window. You know, we still know everything there is to know about tree surgeons. Um, that hasn't changed. We know what makes a good one. We know what makes one that we wouldn't necessarily want to insure. So I don't, I don't see that that's changed. And provided we can still prove to our capacity partners that we understand that and we can make money for them and that those people survive this, I don't see it. I really don't see it. Do you know what I think? I think that we've been coming to the tail end for the last 20 years or so of the industrial revolution. And we've been fighting with the information revolution, just as as a broad concept, right? And I think if you look at the generations that are below me, the younger generations, the entrepreneurial mindset is something totally different to the generations for me and above totally Mm. different and there's a lot more of it and I don't know if you have been badgered into reading Charles Handy by Peter but I did I've read it I've read it before have you read The Second Curve I haven't I I read it when I got I read the organized I read Empty Raincoat and I read uh organized what's his organizational seminal work but I haven't read the the latest the second curve I really enjoyed because what it's talking about is businesses as a shamrock. So they'll have their core and they'll have all the flowers around the outside that are external businesses that are add-ons, either outsourcing or similar to what GRP have done. You know, you've got the core and then you've got all of these businesses around. And I think that idea is taking stock. Look at Amazon, look at Google, look at mm. any of the big companies that will probably take over the world. And it's all IT-based, it's information-based, it's it's entrepreneurially minded that the challenges and the way people are growing. And I think COVID-19 has basically just shifted the world off the precipice and it will land in different formations. Mm. And I think it'll be very different in a lot of ways because I think it's going to give the real techie kids in their 20s now. For example, my VA is 21. My God, do I wish I had half of her now at 21 that she has Mm. She's yeah. phenomenal, and that that I think this is a breeding ground for that. So I think I don't. Yeah. I think there's all kinds of crazy uh, things. Going uh, on. You know, one of my fundamental beliefs, Sarah, is in the ingenuity and the robustness of of human beings. You read Man's Search for Meaning, you know, the Victor Frankl book. People were walking dead in concentration camps, yeah. yet recovered, yet stayed alive on a it's actually Holocaust Memorial Day today. On a you know, on a tiny piece of bread on on thirty calories a day, and came back and set up multinational businesses. So if you can come back from that, you can you come know, back from you anything. Come, you can come back from you know. We will come back from this. This idea, maybe is you know, maybe there'll be some degree of reset. Frankly, poor businesses will continue to be poor businesses. Good businesses will continue to be good businesses. I do think there's there's something in this. I've been reading a lot recently about this over the last few days. The lockdown, our, um, I don't know if you saw on the news last night, the Americans are now starting to protest about lockdown. We've had none of that in this country. We've just, we've sucked it up. 
we've been told stay at home, we've stayed at home. You know, this idea that the British, you know, stick two fingers up to authority, we've taken this, mm. you know, and I think people are going to start to push back on that and want to go out and get back to normal really, really quickly. Really quickly. Do you know what my kids hate, but is my go-to every time? Stimulus, choice, response. So don't tell me you were angry, so you hit her. <laughs> and Isabel can never remember the name Victor Frankl, so she comes up with all kinds. Stimulus <laughs> choice response, stimulus choice response. <laughs> there it is, dude. You get to choose how you respond to this particular absolutely, moment. Absolutely. <laughs> and they hate it. And it'll be that thing that their kids, they say to their kids and they go, Oh, yeah. Ooh. <laughs> My mum used to say that all the yeah. time. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I think you're absolutely right. Well, I think that is a perfectly positive note to end on and and I hope that your 2020 predictions come through <laughs> because uh I think it'll be uh, uh happy for all of us if it does yeah okay thank you Sarah thank you I've really enjoyed this so thank you yeah. very much no problem thank you